The Lord be with you and also with you. Brothers and sisters, would you open up your Bible to Mark chapter 12? We are going to be reading from verse 28 all the way to the end of the chapter. We are about ready to start a brand new sermon series called The Art of Neighboring. And I am hoping that this particular sermon series is going to be a vision casting kind of sermon series for us as we consider what does it mean to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves? And I am trusting that this is going to be a sermon series that is going to help us live today while we are in this pandemic time, as well as live beyond this pandemic time. So, would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? And before we continue on in the reading of God's Word, let us come to him, asking him for a special blessing during this time. Let us pray. Father God, with our Bibles open before us, we come and ask for your help, that the Spirit of God would illumine the printed pages to us, that our minds would be alert and open to its truth, and that our lives would be quick to welcome it and obey it and to live in light of it. Help us, Lord, both in the speaking and in the listening, to do it in such a way that honors you and glorifies you, the living God. And we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Brothers and sisters, Mark chapter 12, starting at verse 28. Hear God's word. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing. With one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other beside him. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far off from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to answer, ask him any more questions. This is the word of the Lord. Yes, thanks be to God. She wrote in her testimony, this. The word Jesus stuck in my throat like an elephant tusk. No matter how hard I choked, I couldn't hack it out. Those who professed the name commanded my pity and wrath. As a university professor, I tried, I tired of students who seemed to believe that knowing Jesus meant knowing little less. Christians in particular 
We're bad readers, always seizing opportunities to insert a Bible verse into a conversation with the same point as a punctuation mark to end it rather than deepen it. Stupid, pointless, menacing. That's what I thought of Christians and their God, Jesus, who in paintings looked as powerful as a Breck shampoo commercial model. Those are hard, scathing words. However, if you would have asked somebody, a, a random person on the street, the question of what is an identifying or a distinguishing mark of someone who identified themselves as a follower of Jesus, what might be some of their responses? What, what, what is a, a distinguishing marker of a follower of Jesus? If you would ask them, some would say, well, I, a distinguishing marker is that they give time on Sundays to show up to church. I'm not sure what they do there, but they, they go to church. Some would say that, that they were maybe distinguished by a bumper sticker on their car. But here's the question for you. Do you remember what Jesus said should distinguish us from the rest of the world? Listen to John 13, verse 35. By this, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. By this, by this one thing, the whole world will know that you are my disciples. And what is this one thing that he says in John chapter 13? He says this, if you have love for one another, this one thing, and this one thing is if you have love for one another. Think about it for a second. How would your neighbor answer the question of what distinguishes you or other people as followers of Christ? What, what would your, how would your co-workers answer that question? How about the people in your condominium? What about the people in your, in your neighborhood or the grocery store line? Is the distinguishing characteristic of your life one of self-giving love towards other people? Is that the marker of your life? So here's my goal. I want our distinguishing characteristic to be one of a love a deep, wholehearted love for God and, and a deep, wholehearted love for other people. So the question has to be, why, Paul, why should we be doing this sermon series called The Art of Neighboring during this time? So I've got a couple reasons. Here's the first reason. In last week's message in 2 Corinthians uh, I said that a healthy church requires continual, continual self-correction. We, we got to continually stay focused on Christ, what he is calling us. And when, when we started the church plant back in 2007, we had a passion as, as, a, as a launch team to be reaching our neighbors, to be serving our neighbors. And in some way, we as a whole, maybe not as individuals, but we as a whole have kind of lost the, that defining 
characteristic that Jesus said would distinguish us from the rest of the world. We need to get back on course. Secondly, during this time of physical isolation, we quite possibly, in our self-preservation, or just being distant socially, have grown numb to our God-given privilege and our God-given calling to love people, to love those people who are outside of our face masks, who are outside of our four walls. We need to rekindle our love for God and rekindle our love for other people. So, and I, I want us to recapture this distinguishing characteristic as a whole church, not just the elders, not just the deacons, not just the ministry leaders. I want us all to recapture this, this love that, that when people think about us corporately and individually, they think, what is going on with them? They, they find themselves amazed at the depth of love that we have for our God. And they're amazed at the depth of love that we have for our neighbors. There has to be, they, they're, they're asking, there has to be some kind of explanation as to why, why are they doing this? And they will find out that this kind of love is otherworldly. It's a love that comes from God. So back to the beginning's testimony. It was at that point for Rosaria Butterfield that she experienced something otherworldly. You see, Rosaria Butterfield was a staunch, a formerly staunch lesbian professor. She was well known for her, her studies in feminism and her hatred, honestly, for the church. In her writing, she wrote a blazing critique of the Promise Keeper uh, movement in a local newspaper, and because of that blazing critique, she received letters after letters after letters. So what did she do? As she was receiving letters, she kept two trays for her incoming mail. One from those nasty hate letters, and one for saying, way to go, keep going. But as she was going through her mail one day, she, she found herself surprised that when she received a letter from a man named Ken Smith. Ken Smith was a pastor, and his letter wasn't, was not nasty, but it was questioning. And she wrote this. With the letter, Ken initiated two years of bringing the church to me a heathen. Oh, and I have seen my share of Bible verses on placards at gay pride marches that Christians who mocked me on gay pride day were happy that I and everyone I loved were going to hell was clear as blue sky. That is not what Ken did. He did not mock me. He engaged. So when his letter invited me to get together for dinner, I accepted. My motives at the time were straightforward. Surely this would be good for my research. Something else happened. Ken and his wife Floyd and I 
became friends. They entered my world. They met my friends. We did book exchanges. We talked openly about sexuality and politics. They did not act as if such conversations were polluting them. They did not treat me as a blank slate. When we ate together, Ken prayed in a way that I've never heard before. His prayers were intimate, vulnerable. He repented of his sin in front of me. He thanked God for all things. Ken's God was holy and firm, yet full of mercy. And because Ken and Floyd did not invite me to church, I knew it was safe to be friends. I love this story of Rosaria Butterfield. So, but hear this, friends. Ultimately, ultimately, through the loving, patient, hospitable, normal, gospel-saturated ministry of Ken and Floyd Smith, God rescued Rosaria Butterfield. So I am praying that this sermon series would really do a work in you and in me. I'm praying that God would change our minds about how our love for him is trans, uh, translated and moved into our neighborhoods. That God would do something special in our congregation that we would be known for how well we are faithfully loving our God and faithfully loving one another and our neighbors. And I pray, listen, my friends, I pray that you would not yawn at what God says is the greatest commandment. So what we are going to do this morning is I'm going to give you two major points. Here's the first one, and I'll share what the second one is as well. The first one is our wholehearted love for God. That is our first major category that we're going to be talking about. And then we are going to be talking about our coinciding wholehearted love for our neighbors. So first, love part one, our wholehearted love for God. So let's get at it. In this brief encounter that Jesus had with a, a, a scribe, the scribe asked a very good question. And I believe that this scribe was really curious of what Jesus had to say because Jesus already had a previous conversation and they were trying, it was heated. And Jesus answered his question, which was a tough one. And I'm not sure we would be able to answer it. I'm glad that he asked Jesus. The question is, which commandment? Which one commandment is the greatest, the most important question of all? Over and over again in the Bible, we see Jesus is asked, what is this most important commandment? And the scribe is basically saying, hey, God has told us that we are to do a lot of different things. There's a lot of different rules out there that we are to keep. What is, Jesus, the most important rule? And so Jesus answers, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. Jesus is saying, hey, your 
that the primary place for your affection is not, your primary place for your affection is not your family. Your primary place for your affection is not your workplace. Your primary affection is not in your hobbies, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, the things that are fun for you. That is not where your primary affection is supposed to be. No, the primary place of your affection is with the Lord. Amen? Yes, amen. Our affections are to be a primary place, location of our affections is to be in the Lord. Jesus isn't trying to shut down the argument for this young scribe. No, what he is doing is he is setting down the foundation for all of life. Here is what you build your life on. Loving the Lord your God with all of you. So now, assuming that you Know God as your Lord and your Savior, as one who has rescued you and redeemed you from your sin and saved you. The natural question has got to be, so how do I do this? How do I love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? A lot has been written about this subject about loving God with all that we are. And people have spent a lot of ink and a lot of paper trying to dissect humanity into these four categories of heart, soul, mind, and body, or your strength. And I'm not sure that that is what Jesus is really trying to get at. We can go into that. But what I think he is wanting his audience to understand is that loving God is a complete and a total affair. Loving God affects the things that we desire and long for. Loving God affects the way that we feel and even the things that we hope and we dream about. Loving God affects our minds and the things that we think about. The, the way that we perceive the world that we are living in and our understanding of right, wrong, and finally loving God should affect ultimately the way that we live. All of our body, to bodily strength should be expended in our love for God. To love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength is a fancy way of saying that we must love God with everything that we have. We, we must be in, totally in love with the only true God who rescued us and redeemed us from the slavery of sin, the weight of sin. And that is what Jesus is saying to us. The greatest commandment is to be devoted to or dedicated to God in every area of our life. And the Apostle Paul prays for the church in Philippi. In Philippians chapter 1 verse 9, he says, I am praying that your love may abound more and more in the knowledge and the depth of insight. I want it to grow. I want you to know him more. So if loving God is about having a wholehearted relationship with him, and if a relationship implies a growing understanding of the other person, just like any other relationship out there, then a Christian must be a thoughtful, a reflective, a scripture-saturated biblical witness growing in his or her understanding of God's ways and purposes in this world. 
We must be a people having a growing love in God by the use of our minds. We, we must read serious Christian literature. No more fluff. Read some serious stuff that sometimes hurts your mind and gets you really thinking deeply about the things of God. We must study theology in our homes, in our missional communities, in our men and women's Bible studies. You must hear sound scripture preaching when we come together here in this building. We must teach one another what we are learning about our God. All of this is part of our loving God. And as we love our God, what is going to be happening? What's going to be happening with our, our minds, our hearts, our souls, and our strength, our bodies? Ultimately, all those things are going to be transformed, right? <laughs> Romans 12, too, right? Be transformed by the, yes, the renewing of your minds. But that's, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. It, it shouldn't just happen in your little glass cylinder of your Christian life that you are suddenly falling more in love with Jesus and, and you are growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is a beautiful, wonderful thing happening in my little vacuum. No, something else will happen. Part two. Love part two. Our coinciding wholehearted love for neighbors needs to be happening. So let me ask you a question. Why didn't Jesus just stop after he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength? Why didn't he just stop there? Did you notice it? He didn't. He adds something. He said, the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment, singular, greater than these, plural. Jesus was not asked what are the top two commandments of all time, but he was asked what is the greatest, the most important commandment. And to understand why he gave us an answer like this, we, we should be turning to John chapter 4. He answers a, a question why Jesus connects, connects them here. John does this. Listen to it. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God can Love his neighbor? No, that's what, I was, what it says. Whoever loves God must, must also love his neighbor. This is the point that Jesus is making, and this is the point that John is reiterating. There can be zero degrees of separation between our love for God and our love for for people. Zero degrees of separation. They are one on top of the other. It is like two sides of the exact same coin. It is completely possible, my friends, for you to love your neighbor and to not love God. That, that's completely possible for you to love your neighbor and to not love God. 
In fact, that is the world. But what the Bible is saying here is that it is impossible to love God and to not love your neighbor. Let me say that again. It is impossible to love God and to not love your neighbor. So that's what this whole series is going to be about for the next four weeks. We are going to be digging into this subject of loving our neighbor. How, how do we do this? And what is really God asking us to be doing? So this is so that we don't just be a people who say, I love Jesus. I love him. But that we are a people who wholeheartedly love our God. And we are a people who wholeheartedly love the people he has created. So when our minds are transformed, Romans 12, verse 2, then the way that we live, the feelings that we have, the desires that we dream about, the way that we use our bodies, and the way that we treat others will be changed. And that is why loving others flows from a complete devotion to God. We will love others because God loves those others. This, there is this, this litmus test of whether or not you really love God as much as you say you do. A litmus test. You remember high school uh, science, right? You put it in to see if it's, if it's acidic or was it alkaline or something like that. You put this little litmus test, a little piece of paper in there, and you pull it out and say, yes. It is this, or no, it is this. And this is the litmus test of whether or not you love God and whether or not you don't love God. And this is the test. Your wholehearted love for the people around you. People will be able to tell whether or not you truly love God by the way that you love others. And when we love God completely, my friends, this is going to sound odd, but we will lose ourselves. We will lose our selfishness. We will lose our sense of entitlement. And we will be able to become servants of others just as the Lord was a servant to us, one who came to seek and to save the lost, one who came to wash our dirty feet. He, Jesus is declaring that as, as lovers of God, we are to love others with that same kind of intensity, that same kind of focus. We must be about their preservation. We must be about their pr promotion. We must be about their fulfillment. That sounds overwhelming. Listen to what John Piper had to say in a sermon in 1995. He said this about loving others as yourself. As you long for food when you are hungry, so long to feed your neighbors, your neighbor when he is hungry. As you long for nice clothes for yourself, so long for clothes for your neighbor. As you work for a comfortable place to live, so desire a comfortable place to live for your neighbor. As you seek to be safe and secure from calamity and violence, so seek 
comfort and security for your neighbor. That has a lot to say about our time right now, doesn't it? To consider them. Be concerned about them. Piper goes on to say, as you want your life to count and to be significant, so desire that same significance for your neighbor. As you work to make good grades for yourself, so work to help your neighbor make good grades. As you like to be welcomed into strange company, so welcome your neighbor into strange company. As you would that men would do to you, do so to them. These are the greatest commandments, the most important commandments out there. Love God, love Him with absolute devotion, and seek the best of others. But here's the reality, my friends. And even in writing this, I, I felt the weight as I'm writing these words. The reality is you and I are going to fail in this. Selfishness and, and self-preservation creeps in and we choose to avoid our, our neighbor. Or when we have poor uh, management of our time or poor mismanagement of God's resources that he gives us, when that happens, we don't have anything more to give. Or our closest loved ones, our closest loved ones, those who are nearest to us in our little nest, Super, supersedes the call to love our neighbors as ourselves, all this is going to happen, and it feels like we're going back to square one. This commandment ultimately cuts, cuts to the root of sin, pride. Hearing that makes me feel like we are all doomed for failure. But I've got good news. There is one who was able to love God with all of his heart and all of his soul and all of his mind and all of his strength in such a way that was complete devotion. There was only one who overcame the human propensity to be absolutely selfish. And his name is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the one who came in the flesh to dwell among us, the one who understands our struggles. He is the only one who has ever kept these two great commands. He is the only one who loved God with all of his mind, understanding perfectly the, the word of God and being able to apply it masterfully to his life. He is the only one when to knew when to rebuke and when to offer grace. He was he understood when to teach and what to say and how to say it and how to ultimately bring glory to God and to bring humanity face to face with their sinful rebellion. He was the only one who knew how to do that. He was fully devoted to God in his worship, understanding what true worship is, worshiping in spirit and in truth. He, he loved humanity, under, undeserving as it was, giving his life for ransom, for you and for me, and granting us reason upon reason to love him in return. John, 1 John 4 says this, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, this, this is the gospel, my friends, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, 
but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Loving God and loving others is absolutely sacrificial by definition. To love God requires that we offer up ourselves as a living sacrifice, laying down our desires and our intentions in order to ultimately seek God's desires and God's intentions. But God by far made the greater sacrifice, right? In loving us, undeserving objects of wrath, he loved us and is teaching us what love looks like by how? By offering his own son. Jesus' love for God the Father and for you and I broke down the dividing wall of hostility. He gave his very life, his body, his desires, his plan, his throne in order to see God's desires, God's plans brought to fruition and to see our greatest preservation, promotion, and fulfillment accomplished through his blood. He gave of his heart saying, not my will, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. He, he held nothing back from his devotion to God and his neighbor. And so he commands us. This one commands us to love. Love completely. Love sacrificially. Love as one who has taken up our crosses, denied themselves, and dotingly follows after our Lord and Savior. Loving God is learned at the cross. Listen to this song. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all of my pride. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. Friends, I pray that through this series, we will grow in our affection for God. We will love him wholeheartedly. And we will learn and practice and apply this as we love our neighbors. And I pray that through this series, you will have the privilege and the joy that I, of telling your, your friends and your neighbors about the Lord. And I pray that we will hear testimonies some, similar to that of Rosaria Butterfields. And listen to how she concludes. One ordinary day, I came to Jesus, open-handed and naked. In this war of worldviews, Ken was there. Floyd was there. The church that had been praying for me for years was there. Jesus triumphed. And I was a broken mess. Conversion was a train wreck. I did not want to lose everything that I had loved, but the voice of God sang a sanguine love song in the rubble of my world. I weakly believed that if Jesus could conquer death, he could make right my world. I drank tentatively at first, 
then passionately of the solace of the Holy Spirit. I rested in private peace, then community, and today in the shelter of a covenant family where one calls me wife and many call me mother. What a testimony of God's grace. And what a gift it is that God calls us to not just love him, but to participate in his, this work of redemption, of being his ambassadors of love to our neighbors. So people of God, go out in the knowledge that God loves you wholeheartedly and has devoted his entire being in, in seeking your best interest by saving you. And therefore, my friends, because of that, you too can go out and love others as he has loved you. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, I ask that you would do an awesome work within our church within the next few weeks. That we would not just be a people who say that we love you, but we would walk out into our neighborhoods, into our workplaces, and that we would demonstrate your love towards us, towards them. Encourage us, Lord. Strengthen us, Lord. Remind us of your love and empower us to go out in your name. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, receive the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace, now and forevermore. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I love you. God loves you. Now go in peace.